Hello, I'm Jeremy Johnson, Vice President of Customer Experience. And I'm David Lancashire, the Chairman and CEO. Uh, last time we talked about design thinking, the pros and cons, and how the term is playing in the business community. Today we want to talk about companies that don't think they need UX and what moves them to adopt it. So David, why are some companies and business leaders hesitant to employ UX with all the evidence that's piling up that proves that this is a better way to build products? Well, I think there are a number of businesses out there, um, particularly ones that are maybe run by people from more of a finance background. Because they're focused on the numbers and, and how to execute those numbers and make Wall Street happy, uh, what they do is say, gosh, if I acquire this business in our sector and it adds X amount of revenue and X amount of EBITDA, I'm going to hit plan for the year. and. I have a whole bunch of activities and initiatives that I need to run successfully to make that happen. Uh, sorry, I don't really have a lot of time right now to think about experience or the customer experience. I'm assuming that inside the business that I'm acquiring, some of that goodness is happening and that the teams inside those businesses are somehow applying their thinking to that. Of course, the, the flaw in that argument is that you now have a business that's acquiring business after business after business or product line or product after product after product which is creating a large number of different interaction points with customers broadly speaking. Right. These customers are now realizing that they seem to have a completely different interface, a completely different experience even though they're engaging with a product from the same company. Right. Um, so unfortunately there's not enough drive in some of those businesses to go and address that issue that's actually becoming bigger and bigger each year as more and more businesses are acquired. But at the same time, those companies are actually becoming bigger and more valuable. And from all uh, perspectives, from a, at least from the market perspective of the financial results, they're achieving all of their goals. Right. So I think that's, you know, that's, that's a key group that tends to be willing and able to ignore uh, experience even when that freight train's headed right towards them. Yeah, so so what would you say to companies like that? Why move to embrace UX? And I'm assuming ROI is gonna be a component of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think all of this ultimately ends up um, thinking in terms of ROI. It's very, very connected to the business. If I'm going to grow my revenue streams or I'm going to improve my gross margins, um, or I'm going to add a new complementary line of business. If I can actually do that based on a very clear understanding of experience enhancements, meeting aspirations of a very specific group in my target customer segment, I'm doing it more intelligently and I'm doing it more programmatically, and I'm essentially focusing corporate resources that I'm directing on the right challenges and the right problems to solve, thereby delivering a far superior solution. So let's just think about that. If it's, um, I need to um, compete with product X in the market, they've introduced you know seven new features. The way we go about doing things is we're going to identify which of those seven features, if any, we even need to match 
in our next release or actually whether there's a net new feature that we're going to base most of our promotion on because that's actually what our key persona in our target market is uh, showing us through their actions and through our research programs that they really need. So I think those are the kinds of really detailed ways we can get at the truth of what's needed and it's going to tie directly back to what we're designing, building, taking into the market, driving revenue streams with. Yeah. And I, I know we've seen cases where um, you know, on the B2C side, improving conversion, reducing bounce, which obviously great metrics. On, on the workplace software side, we've seen reduction in time. So from an employee perspective, time savings, which time equals money in many cases. And so I think there's a lot of evidence out there that, that there is a just building better products, making sure you're understanding user needs and, and applying them well. Having software designers instead of developers build the UI, you're gonna see a number of ROI improvements across the board. Agreed, yeah, I think we've seen over this last period, obviously the, the businesses that are particularly in the B2C and B2B world, there's a lot of pressure, competitive pressure to ensure their experience is at least as good as uh, competitive experiences. There's been a lot of use of analytics in that area, which um, sometimes can indicate what little tweaks can be made in order to improve conversion. What would I like to think that um, Project 202 can add to that equation is actually understanding why things are going on as well. And so I feel like we can move beyond just conversion optimization to um, identifying how we can really meet the needs of a particular segment. And uh, that, that, put, that puts you in, a again, one step ahead of the competition. Okay. So when you're talking to companies uh, like this that haven't really embraced UX yet, what would you recommend to get started? How, how, how do they get started with this? Well, if, if you're talking about the, this, this kind of real group of skeptics um, that are, are in a way uh, keeping their heads down and, and, and saying, I don't really need that right now, um, I have a, a recommendation for that group. Take a look at what you're already spending in R&D and in market research and say, I am already allocating a number of dollars and the intent of those dollars is to gain a better understanding of my customers, maybe a lot of surveys, um, maybe certain work that's going on in the R&D labs. Take a small amount of those dollars and initiate a program where you start to use the observation of your customers in context as a method of gathering qualitative data. And let us show you on a small scale how those results can be tied directly to your key business initiatives. So that what I'm really saying is don't spend net new money on it if you feel that way. Simply divert some existing dollars that are, are generally speaking in the area of research and let us demonstrate how much more return we can give you for each of those dollars spent in terms of clarity of understanding that user and or customer. What about the next category that is starting to realize experience is important? What words of encouragement would you give them? Well, again, I'd, I'd be very, very pragmatic and tie this back to business drivers. So think for the existing line of business we're looking at what do we do in the next release of this product to gain more market share? We can have an explicit project to go out 
and deeply understand the key personas that exist in the, the, the segment that this particular company is targeting and then we can have a very clear prioritized list of capability that we need to deliver to really excite that that particular customer and, and meet their aspirations. So that's that's a very basic level of prioritizing what work needs to be done to win with the very specific group that you care about. Okay, so step one. But while you're on that journey and you're doing that very same research, one of the byproducts of this work is we start to identify other complementary things that actually open up opportunities for the company to generate an entirely new stream of revenue. That stream of revenue is what actually creates the catalyst for the company to be able to grow exponentially rather than in a standard and predictable fashion. And that's where you've seen companies like Apple, as we've mentioned before, have created entirely new markets. And so the financial markets no longer really know how to analyze the business because they're realizing that a new category may be created next year and they can't just simply say, oh, they're going to just keep growing this this core market that they're in currently. So I think it changes the game entirely for these businesses. And so they need to hold on to that fact and uh, and, and use that as the justification for an investment. So how do you see this playing out in the next few years? Well, my prediction is that we are going to see an increasing number of large corporations in the United States investing in what I'm naming a center of experience. This would be a very clear research program that is focused on having an up-to-date picture and understanding of each persona in the target customer grouping. If you think about it, companies know that they have a type of customer. They spend millions and millions of dollars on research to try to understand them better. But many of them are simply not aware that these new techniques from behavioral science, the observation uh, of users and customers in context of, of the things that they're doing in their daily lives, creates a whole new lens through which you can understand them. Now, I'll accept that even though Project 202 has been doing this work since 2003, it's relatively new to big business. And so what we're trying to do is educate everyone out there that these very clear programs exist that allow you to gain this insight. So please don't go another year without investing some of the millions of dollars that you're already investing in gaining these unique and uh, wonderful insights that can give you a, a real head start against your competition. My biggest and boldest prediction is that we're going to see massive adoption of these centers of experience that, that those will be complemented by what I call consulting designers that are helping agile development teams to embrace UX inside those organizations and a whole series of assets that allow big business to become self-sufficient at executing these programs in years to come.